What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Hardwood Knox podcast. And uh, this is your host, Andy Bailey. Even though Dan Favalli uh, has abandoned you in favor of his honeymoon, um, I hope you'll forgive him for that. But I am not alone today, at least not for the start of this episode. Uh, before I reveal the special guest, though, I need to remind you guys to rate the podcast if you haven't done that already. Um, Dan and I do, in fact, take screenshots of our iTunes reviews and send them to each other and uh, gloat to each other. There was one that really uh, tickled our fancy this week. Um, <laughs> I won't talk about it on the air because it throws some, some shade at other podcasters, but it was kind of funny. Um, anyway, if you haven't rated and reviewed the podcast, go ahead and do that. Um, if you have done that, the next step is obviously to share it with friends and family so we can continue to grow this thing. We appreciate all you guys are doing with that as usual. Um, Dan would know better me, better than me, but I believe the promo code at the nbamath.com shop still works. Um, if it doesn't, you can scream at me at Twitter. It's nbamath.com slash shop and the promo code is Benno, B-E-N-O. You get 15% off any of those cool t-shirts. They're at nbamath.com. And without further ado, we're going to go ahead and jump into this uh, episode. And like I said, we have a special guest, or I have a special guest. There's really not a we in this equation. Um, I have a special guest with me today. It's Hardwood Knox, official NBA Twitter and NBA Instagram analyst. That is her official title, uh, Miss Shelby Bailey. How are you, Shelby? Oh, I'm good. And also, I had an idea. If you've already rated and subscribed, the next step, it sounds like Andy wants you to do, is go and rate and subscribe to other people's rate and subscribes. Just like them, like them, like them. I don't know what that means. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're off to a good start. <laughs> okay. I have no idea I hope idea you liked and rated about. and subscribed before you heard my laugh. <laughs> No, I mean, like, go back and, and read other people's... Uh, can you like people's reviews on iTunes? You can on Amazon. Oh, I don't know if we're on Amazon. Well, probably not, because <laughs> you guys should be, though. The next step is to share it with friends and family, or to steal their phones that and subscribe is, for You're them. a lawyer. I can't believe you would <laughs> offer that as an option. I would. It wouldn't. You'd be fine if I took your phone for five minutes and subscribed you to the podcast, even though you're already subscribed, I would hope. Oh, I am. <laughs> no, I have listened to it. Um, so like I said, you are our NBA Twitter and oh, yeah. NBA Instagram analyst. Yeah. Uh, I will have you guys know that uh, it's no coincidence that Shelby and I share the same last name. She happens to live with me. She is my wife. Um, <laughs> <laughs> she is often telling me about all the happenings on NBA Twitter. 
an NBA Instagram. She knows about some fun stuff before I do, and she always gets a kick out of knowing stuff before I do. She, she feels pretty proud about that. Um, so that's why she's been hired to this super official position. I know. To provide our social media minute from time to time. So I'm just going to ask you that there is something on the horizon with uh, NBA social media that has you just beaming. You're smiling from <laughs> ear to ear. I right shouldn't now. be smiling. You are so excited about this. If uh, there is one thing that bothers Andy about living in this home with me, it is number one, The Bachelor. Yeah, that's awful. Number two, Keeping Up with the Kardashians. Also awful. And guess what, Hardwick Knox listeners? <laughs> the Kardashians have a storm brewing. Not only is the like rest of the season they teased that Chloe's and Tristan Thompson's little cheating scandal is going to come to light and they had videotaped that just like they do everything in their lives. And I am looking way forward to that, which is sick. But yeah, it's pretty sick. That was compounded by the fact that he cheated again. He was caught coming out of a club with two other women a few days ago. She posted um, on Instagram just last night, if you've been brutally broken but still have the courage to be gentle to other living beings, then you're a bad A with the heart of an angel. So is she describing herself? Yes. In that post? She is. She is an angel. If anyone, everyone should love Khloe Kardashian. I used to think that she was like, you know, the trash Kardashian, but I'm starting to like her the best, I think. The trash Kardashian. That's not very nice. <laughs> yeah, I know. I shouldn't say that. But now, but now you think she's an angel. Uh, I think she's got the heart of an angel. You do angel. not like Tristan Thompson. Tell me about your feelings for Tristan Thompson. Oh, he sucks. <laughs> <laughs> Begins and ends with that. Mic drop. Okay, he had, okay, he he literally, like, ha- was having an affair, like, three months into her pregnancy, and then again, uh, two days before she had her child, probably all during it. But honestly, if I'm being serious here, I bet that she's like, this is all something that they knew was going on, and they just, I bet they leaked it to the tabloids right before she was about to give birth. That's my question. How much of this has been orchestrated by Mama Chris Kardashian? She's an amazing agent. <laughs> if there is one thing, one thing that you guys should know about Andy, and you probably already do if you follow him on Twitter, is that he is quite the movie buff. And I pride myself on being an even better movie buff than he is because his taste sometimes sucks. <laughs> but <laughs> one thing this that is... we have talked about a lot is that a lot depends on your agent. If you have a good agent, you can like. Go she pretty their, far. She's their agent? She's their manager, but I oh, okay. I think they're like, you know, in the same vein, right? Yeah, she probably does a lot of the same things. Yeah, she's got to make sure that, I mean, she took a sex tape from being Kim Kardashian being less than, like, Paris Hilton to being Kim Kardashian. Who's like a, is she a billionaire? She, no, she's not the billionaire. Kylie is. Oh. But, you know, if you have every single one of your child children is... Worth. The combined net worth of the Kardashian sisters has got to be like two billion. Yeah, you would think. Okay, well, we whatever should... Chris's is, I don't know. It's got to be intense. Yeah, I think that the one who's worth the least is like seventy million. I'm pretty sure that that's a. Uh, and it all started with Ray J. Courtney. Isn't that his name, the singer? 
I don't know. (laughs) All I know is that I love the Kardashians even more than I love The Bachelor. I just love to hate The Bachelor. Both of those are really unfortunate. And even more than I love Donovan Mitchell. That's like another thing. Yeah, we should probably talk about the NBA. Yeah, people are (laughs) probably so sick of us right now. Okay, and um, the only other social media thing that I can think of is just jazz fans. I love the dynamic. They're so cute. On Instagram, if I love the jazz, it is completely because their Instagram and their Twitter is so freaking cute. And then my second favorite team with the Instagram and Twitter has got to be the Lakers. I I love Josh Hart. And he is the entire reason why I like the Lakers. He's on the Lakers, right? You are correct. <laughs> he is so funny and he's so awesome. And what about I, LeBron, the new Laker? Oh, He's good, too. I mean, he just built a school. We have to give him that charity. He likes to... Another social media thing with that is Justin Timberlake and Jessica Biel went to his school today, and I thought oh, that was... great. I thought that was kind of touching. <laughs> yeah, good that for is them. good. Good for them. It, is it touching, though, or are they just, like, trying to, like, take advantage of something? Oh, I'm sure, they're, I'm sure their hearts are in the right place. Justin Timberlake seems like a good guy. Well, you just love his music. I do. Another thing that you hard would knock. I have all the inside. The biography. I have all the inside dirt on right. Andy. He's in love with Justin. We've Timberlake. been going for almost nine minutes. We got to talk about the NBA. What was your favorite uh, off-season social media thing with the NBA? Oh, um, I like the feud between Lonzo Ball and um, Kuzma. Kuzma. Oh my fun. heck, that was funny. And um, also, I actually might think my very favorite NBA social media thing ever is Kyle Kuzma's, like, original picture. That goofy picture of him? Yeah, that is, like... Where his face looks really bizarre and he knows it. Yeah, if I'm having a bad day, that is what I look at. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, last thing. Before we get into some mailbag questions, or I get into some mailbag questions, tell me about the Ducks. Rudy Gobert. Oh. <laughs> Why does he post pictures and videos of ducks? Oh, I didn't look this up. Why did Well, I don't know why he does either. I thought you might know. Oh, he does he he just posts them all the time and then he says that they're his he's their daddy. I don't know. It's Where weird. are they all the same ducks? <laughs> no, he posts it any time he sees, he sees a duck. Ducks? He posts a video of it on Instagram. He's like in love, and it's become like a thing for him, like that jazz people know about. But I haven't really followed him as much because I'm just really interested in Donovan Mitchell and his cute girlfriend. So, <laughs> all right. Well, we have to get to the bottom of the ducks before the next time we do a social media. Okay, minute. next time. And uh, anyway, thanks for having me on. Thanks, Shelby. That was excellent. Are you gonna tell them where they can find me? That would be great. Yeah. Okay. What you, is your Twitter handle at Shelby N Bailey? At Shelby dot N dot Bailey. No, you can't have a dot in your Twitter handle. Let's look it up really quick. It's just got to be Shelby. Okay. N. Bailey. Well, you guys can find yes, me on Inst- at Shelby N Bailey. Okay, and you can find me on Instagram at letters dot two dot Hank, or you can find me on my website, which is letters to Hank dot com. And um, there's no social media moment on there right now, but maybe I should add it. It's basically just a website about my life, and you could get a little background info on Andy and the fact that he married a fox. Oh, no. Well, that part's (laughs) true. You don't need background information on me. 
Thanks, Shelby. Thanks. <laughs> All right. Now that you guys have absorbed that uh, crucial NBA information from the social media minute, we can jump into the mailbag. Um, and uh, that word crucial, for those of you who follow me on Twitter, you saw the recent hubbub over the last couple days where <laughs> I said the Nuggets had a crucial preseason win. Or win uh, and I, I don't know how you can interpret that as anything but sarcastic when you have the word crucial and preseason like right next to each other in a sentence. But I got hit with an avalanche of like typically crazy Twitter responses. That is neither here nor there, but I just met, happened to use the word crucial now and it made me think of it. Um, <laughs> so now that that useless aside is out of the way, let's jump into the mailbag. Um, I'm going to start off with a question from at Patrick underscore Fenelon, F-E-N-E-L-O-N. And if you're a Timberwolves fan, you probably follow Patrick already. He's kind of been a fixture of Timberwolves Twitter for a while. Um, I'm going to use his question as kind of a catch-all because I got a bunch of questions on this topic. Um, I got another one from at Sustain Recreate. Uh, I wish I, I probably should have found more people's names because this is obviously on a lot of people's net minds. But the, the wording on Patrick's question is, the Jimmy Butler trade is stressing me out, and I think I smell toast. Is that bad? I can't really answer the toast part, uh, Patrick. I don't know if that's good or bad for you. The Jimmy Butler thing is kind of stressing me out, too, and I'm not even a fan of the Timberwolves. Uh, it seems like this all should have been resolved a week or two ago. Now there's more recent reports that say that... <laughs> Jimmy Butler doesn't plan on missing any regular season games and the Timberwolves might just wait it out and, and just let him rejoin the team. I suppose at that point, whenever the regular season starts, that doesn't seem like a wise course to me. Uh, I, I felt like all along that just the nature of this situation with how vehemently he seems to want out um, and how much tension there seems to be between him and some of the other Timberwolves, that this is one that you should probably try to get done quickly. Uh, the more situations like this that play out that way, though, I, I don't know how much that helps a team's management position. Uh, players just become more and more powerful in these things all the time, and maybe that's why the Timberwolves are sort of digging in their heels. or They're trying to maintain some uh, some leverage at this point. I'm sure a lot of the offers they've gotten between the trade demand and now we're pretty soft. And um, it sounds like the most recent one is Miami offering Josh Richardson, Bam Adebayo, or, or excuse me, Minnesota wanting Josh Richardson, Bam Adebayo and a pick for Jimmy Butler. Um, obviously Miami thinks that's too much or the deal would have been done by now. And if it's, if it's me in Miami situation, I think that probably is too much. Um, Josh Richardson is on the verge of, I think, a little bit of a breakout. Pat Raleigh's talked about him wanting him to average close to 20 points. Whether or not he, he can actually do that, we'll see this season. But I think he's he's clearly a guy who can average 15 or 16, which is pretty good for everything else that he provides. He's one of the better shot-blocking guards in the NBA. He gets steals. He hits threes. He's he's just very uh, well-balanced player. And if you, if you have that in addition to 15 or 16 points, I think he's super valuable. Bam Adebayo, I think, should probably be their starting center over Hassan Whiteside. He's a little bit better on the perimeter 
than Whiteside is. And then, you know, obviously you never know what that first round pick can turn into. Now, the flip side, of course, is Jimmy Butler when he's healthy and he's motivated is a top 10 to 15 player. And you, you absolutely need one of those guys to compete for a title. And Miami just doesn't have one of those guys right now. Um, so Butler possibly puts them in, in that position, but I'm, I'm sure I'm not alone in thinking that Jimmy Butler as your unquestioned number one guy, that's probably not a title contender. Um, even though in a vacuum, he's a, he's a top 10 player to me. Um, like I just said, but I don't think, I think you need more. Uh, and maybe that's just the first piece for Miami. Um, anyway, this is my super long winded response to Patrick. And it's just sort of a, a long winded rant on the Jimmy Butler situation in general. Um, you guys have heard a ton of stuff from a ton of different analysts and podcasters and writers on this situation. To me, <laughs> at this point, I just want it over with. Um, hopefully, we can get a tweet from Woj or Shams between now and the start of the regular season that says that this thing is finally done. Next question comes from at the Treyanator, T-R-E-Y-I-N-A-T-O-R. And this is a tough question for me. Both teams are healthy all season. Who makes the playoffs? And then he lists the Mavericks and the Grizzlies. And my gut reaction when I first uh, pegged this question was the Grizzlies. I just, it seems like the default response with Memphis is as long as you've got Mike Conley and Mark Gasol out there, you're going to be good. Um, And like Trey framed this question, if they're fully healthy, then you you almost just assume they're going to be good. But then I started looking at, and I was trying to prove the point that it would be Memphis when I was looking up these numbers, but 2017-18, this is a super small sample because obviously Mike Conley missed most of the season, but in the 324 minutes that Gasol and Conley shared the floor, Memphis was outscored by 2.8 points per 100 possessions. Not great. Um, bad, in fact. <laughs> 2016-17, in the 1,640 minutes that they shared the floor, uh, Memphis outscored opponents by 1.2. So obviously a lot better than 27-18, but actually a 1.2 net rating for your top duo, um, that's really not that great either. Uh, the really good teams with their two best players on the floor are typically outscoring opponents uh, by quite a bit more than 1.2 points. Um, and so then I looked one more year before that to see if the trend gets any better. So 2015-16, they played 1,252 minutes together, and Memphis only outscored opponents by one and a half points per 100 possessions when they were on the floor in 2015-16. So again, it's good that it's positive um, when those two guys were out there in 2016-17 and 2015-16, but it, it might not be enough uh to pull a team into the playoffs in the Western Conference. And that's not, oh, that is Trey's question. I was going to say that's not Trey's question, but he says uh, which of those two might make the playoffs. So I don't know if if that's enough to drag a team into the playoffs that to me has a bunch of questions in terms of supporting cast after those two. I think Jaron Jackson has a chance uh, to be the best rookie in this class, but he's a rookie. And uh, as we know, that typically takes two or three years before you're, you're a distinct positive in the NBA, I like Kyle Anderson a lot. I think it'll be super interesting to see what he looks like outside the Spurs system. I think he's a good player, but I can't help but wonder if his 
uh, sort of catch-all advanced numbers were boosted by being in the Spurs system. He wouldn't be the first player to to get that boost. Um, beyond that, it's it's I'm not super impressed with Jamichael Green. Uh, Wayne Seldon's kind of a he's been a fringe NBA guy, and he might even be their starting shooting guard. Dylan Brooks was good last year for a rookie. I mean, there's there are some signs of promise here and there, but this is my again long-winded way of saying that <clears throat> I'm just not super impressed with the supporting cast after Memphis. So that takes us to Dallas. Um, and Dan's given me a lot of crap for this, as you guys know. I'm I'm sort of cautiously high on Dallas. I don't think they're going to make the playoffs, but I think they're going to be competitive in just about every game they play, and I think they have a chance to finish with a record around 500, which to me is probably ninth or 10th uh, in the West. And I actually, you know, I don't think Memphis or Dallas is going to make the playoffs. But if I'm being forced to choose, I think I'm going to switch my answer right now um, from the one that I, I picked before I started recording. And I'm going to go ahead and say the Mavericks. Um, one of the reasons Dallas <laughs> was so bad last year is because they wanted to be bad. They wanted a high draft pick. Um, they played a lineup that was just their most used lineup was a huge negative. Um, and the reason it played a lot of minutes is because Rick Carlisle wanted to, to, to develop Dennis Smith and putting a lineup out there that's a huge minus wasn't a bad thing in the long run for them. Like I said, they wanted a high draft pick. Um, but if you go down the list of their most used lineups, four of their seven most used lineups were actually a positive. So there's already combinations of players there um, that are good. And these are five men lineups. So this is different than what I was talking about with the Grizzlies. And a, a smaller positive means a little bit more for a five-man um, lineup than it does for a two-man lineup. So they, they had combinations last year that worked. Um, they lost a ton of close games, which led them to they, – they only won 24 games, but Pythagorean wins, which is basically like expected wins based on your point differential, said they should have won 33. So if they win some of the close games that they lost last year – if Luka Doncic is as good as I expect him to be, um, and just for the sake of context, um, Jacob Goldstein, at Jacob E. Goldstein, I'm sure most of you probably follow him already, but he has a tool that translates EuroLeague box plus minuses to NBA box plus minuses. And uh, Doncic's last year in EuroLeague translated to a 3.3 box plus minus in the NBA, which would have ranked 25th in the league this year, just ahead of guys like Draymond Green, Campbell Walker, Joe Ingles. Um, now, that's not a prediction from Jacob of what uh, Luca will do this year, and it's not a prediction for me either. It's just to say that he has a chance, even as a rookie, to be a distinct positive for them. So that's a good addition, obviously. Uh, DeAndre Jordan is a good addition. You're running a bunch of pick and rolls with those two. You've got Dennis Smith uh, after a year in the league, who played a lot better in the second half of his rookie season. Um, I think there's a lot to like with this team. I, I think Harrison Barnes can be a little bit more efficient with another uh, creator out there. He was he was at his best in Golden State because he's he was with guys who demanded so much attention um, and Stephen Curry and Clay Thompson, and he might be closer to that with Luca and DeAndre and another year of Dennis Smith. Um, so that team is super super interesting to me. I think they have one of the best coaches in the NBA. They're going to be competitive um, even in games that they lose. So. 
Between those two teams, if I had to pick one, I, I'm going to go ahead and say Dallas. Okay, next question comes from at Voorhees, and it's spelled at V, uh, letter O, number zero, R-H-E-E-Z. Why do people still take OKC above Utah? Utah waxed OKC in the playoffs, and losing Melo doesn't propel OKC above the Jazz. I get that line of thinking. Um, <clears throat> they definitely did beat the, the Thunder fairly handily in the playoffs. Um, it was a six-game series. There's, it, it very well could have been five, as anyone who watched that series knows. <laughs> but the thing is, at least with me, I, I think losing Melo might actually <laughs> propel them um, in opposition to that last thing that you said in your question. He was such a huge minus for them last season, particularly in the playoffs. I remember watching that series, and every time he shot the ball, I'm as you guys know, I'm a I'm a fan of the Jazz, and every time he shot, I was excited. Um, every time they isolated him on the other end and made him guard somebody in space, I just thought, "Oh, there's a bucket." Um, he just he didn't help his team at all. He was one of the worst players in the league by a bunch of different advanced stats. Um, when Paul George, Russell Westbrook, and Carmelo Anthony were all on the floor. Uh, OKC outscored opponents by 4.9 points per 100 possessions. And that's that's pretty good. That's uh, And that's almost 2,000 minutes. That's very good, actually. But when Paul George and Russell Westbrook were on the floor and Melo was off the floor, um, and this is obviously a much smaller sample. It's somewhere around, I think it was around 300 minutes. Uh, they were plus 14.6. So they were just destroying teams in those minutes when Carmelo Anthony was off the floor and Paul George and Russell Westbrook were on. Um, and obviously there's going to be a lot more of those minutes this season. So I think they have a chance to be better. Now the, the wrench uh, that's been thrown into all this, unfortunately for OKC and its fans is the Russell Westbrook injury. And I, I don't know how long he's going to be out and how long they're going to have to trust this thing to Dennis Schroeder. Um, if Westbrook had been healthy the whole season, I don't think OKC over Utah, at least in terms of like a regular season record, was was that hot of a take. Because, um, I again, I do think losing Melo helps them. And some of their offseason additions I kind of like, too. Like I, I think Nerland's Noel is still pretty good. Um, if you can ever get him to sort of focus or lock in. Um, I get the complaints with Dennis Schroeder, but I thought he would be interesting as a backup point guard. I think maybe he was miscast as the, uh, if not the face of the franchise, at least like the clear number one point guard in Atlanta. Maybe he's just a lot better as a spark plug off the bench, which is what he will be uh, for OKC when Westbrook is healthy. Um, so I think I think they definitely got better this season. And when they're healthy, they're going to be pretty scary. And I, I think particularly on the defensive end, when they have lineups that roll out, Paul George and Andre Roberson and Jeremy Grant and Steven Adams, like that's going to be a really, really tough, tough lineup to score on. So they are super, super interesting to me. Um, I'm not saying I would take them over the Jazz either. I, I think it's kind of a toss up between those teams. As I've, you know, you could basically say it's a toss up between teams three through eight, nine, maybe even ten in the West. So it's it's really difficult to sort that out, but. I don't think it's crazy for those people who do think that OKC might be better than Utah. At Jacob underscore NBA, which situation would you rather be in as a general manager? 
A team with a superstar, but not much else around them. Example, the Kings before trading Boogie. Um, That example kind of scares me, but let's continue the question. Or a team with a lot of solid role players and quality starters, but no superstar. Example, the current Miami Heat. So I, this is an interesting one for me too. I'm a little torn on this. I would probably say the star. Um, And I I mentioned this earlier when I was talking about um, the Jimmy Butler trade. There just aren't many, if any, examples uh, of teams winning a title without a star. Uh, A lot of people point to that 2004 Pistons team. But I, th- I think we can all agree in hindsight that that team not only had a star, it had a few stars. Chauncey Billups uh, was fantastic. Ben Wallace is one of the greatest defensive players in the history of the NBA, and he was at the peak of his powers in 2004. Rasheed Wallace um, was kind of a forecast of what we're seeing now, a big man who can protect the rim and shoot threes. Um, Tayshaun Prince was a defensive nightmare. Richard Hamilton was really good. That, that team was loaded, um, especially defensively. So I don't think we can use that as the example of an NBA team that won a title without a star because I, I think they had multiple stars. And if you just go down through the list of titles, um, especially recently, you don't just need a star. You need multiple stars. Uh, so you, <laughs> you're going to have to start with at least one. Now, like I said, your example maybe isn't one that I would jump on. Um, the Kings before trading Boogie, I, I think you probably want the right kind of star because as we, and, and this is obviously not all Boogie's fault, but I think it's maybe hard to build around a guy who's, um, I don't know Boogie, but obviously some people think he has some attitude problems and, and some locker room issues and things like that. I'm ideally you want your star to be someone who, uh, helps you, in terms of basketball, but also in terms of culture, someone who has sort of that like magnetic leadership, uh, personality, that kind of stuff. Um, those guys just don't come along very often where they're both superstars in terms of basketball and superstars, you know, in terms of all the intangible stuff. Um, that's the ideal, obviously. Now, The, the starless teams, like Miami, you already mentioned, and I think they probably do qualify right now. I think some people might put Utah in that category, or at least they did before Donovan Mitchell. I think I think Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert are both stars and um, get me going on Joe Ingles, and I could probably try to convince you that he's a star too. Um, I think there's value to that as well, especially if you're a smaller market team. Um like I've, I think I've, I mean, I've, I've even written this article that Utah resembles that 2004 Pistons team, um, and I think you can get some cool culture stuff going with like the sum of all of us is is better than any of us individually. Uh, Utah's big motto is the strength of our team is the team, and and I think it's fun culturally if you have that kind of thing going on, like Miami or maybe some other teams do right now. But if you want to reach the very pinnacle of the NBA, it's it's basically impossible <laughs> without at least one star. Um, the other team that just came to mind to me was the Dallas Mavericks, and that's that's maybe an example of a one-star team that pulled it off. And Dirk Nowitzki was obviously a superstar, and you could probably make the argument that Jason Terry was too, and 
Jason Kidd certainly was at one point in his career, but he probably wasn't at least impact wise a star by that point. But that's about as low as you can go <laughs> is the, the 2011 Dallas Mavericks. And even they still needed at least one star and they needed this Superman performance out of their one star uh, to get it done. So if you want to win a title, you have to have a star in the NBA. And this is not, <laughs> this is nothing new. Um, all right, let's jump into at underscore Luke six, who asks, who is your sleeper rookie of the year? Um, obviously my non sleeper rookie of the year is Luka Doncic. I think I've mentioned that a bunch of times on this podcast. I've probably said it on Twitter here or there. I think he's going to be really good. Um, he looked amazing in his preseason debut. I think the floor for him, and actually I might be spoiling a later question, so I won't say that, but um, at the very least, I think he can have like a Joe Ingles type of an impact. I don't know if he's going to be as good of a perimeter defender as Joe Ingles is, but a guy who can who can hit some shots, he can create as a 6'8 as a playmaking wing, which is super important to today's wing, or today's NBA. But obviously... I'm not answering the question. I'm just going on a Luka Doncic tangent. Um, sleeper pick for the rookie of the year. I'm going to go with Wendell Carter Jr. He, um, I should have looked up some stats on him, but one I know off the top of my head is, and, and I'm going to go ahead and um, double check this so I don't get it wrong. But Wendell Carter, uh, among freshman players, who logged at least 500 minutes um, and college? This is from College Basketball Reference, and they've been tracking box post minus since the 2010-11 season. So it's not a huge sample, but that's that's still pretty good. There's a ton of college basketball players, and that's uh, seven or eight seasons worth of data right there. So that's thousands and thousands of players. But anyway, um, among freshmen with at least 500 minutes, here are the only players who had a better box plus minus than Wendell Carter Jr. Anthony Davis, Carl Anthony Towns, Jaron Jackson, Joel Embiid, and Nerlens Noel. Um, pretty ridiculous company. And and there again is Jaron Jackson, who's number three on this list. Uh, Wendell Carter, to me, has the, the potential to be really special. And I think we got a glimpse of what he can do, not only at Summer League, but there was a stretch of the season last year when Marvin Bagley, who was the number one option for Duke for most of the season, went down, where I think we got a a pretty good idea of just how good uh, Wendell Carter Jr. can be. Um, He had a stretch. I'm looking it up now. 16 points, 10 rebounds. Uh, two and a half assists in under 30 minutes a game in a chunk of about 17 games in the middle of the season. One of the things that really impresses me about him, um, <clears throat> 2.3 assists doesn't really jump off the page, but that's solid for a big man. Um, and his assist percentage of 13 is good. Uh, three assists per, per 40 minutes. I, I think that's going to be more and more important um, as the NBA continues to evolve for centers to be able to pass. Um, I think most of you probably already know about my affinity for passing, and it's one of the big reasons that I always go on Nikola Jokic rants, but I think passing is just such an underrated and underappreciated 
skill in the NBA. And if you have five guys on the floor who can all pass, you become so difficult to defend. And uh, especially if you have a guy who can kind of initiate things from the top. And I think uh, Wendell Carter has the chance to be able to do that too. And if you add that to rim protection um, and ability to hit some threes, he shot 41% from three in college. Uh, he's, he's just got a ton of layers to his game. Now, the thing that's going to be standing in his way in terms of rookie of the year is Chicago has two players in Jabari Parker and Zach Levine who are just going to take a ton of shots. And so (laughs) there might not be a lot of offense trickling down to Wendell Carter as long as Parker and Levine are healthy. Both of those guys are going to have big-time usages. Um, They'll probably take north of 15 shots a game. That doesn't leave a ton for guys like Wendell Carter. Um, But what he also has going in his favor is those guys don't defend. Um, and really there's a lot of Bulls players who might get minutes who don't defend. Bobby Portis is another one. And uh, not defending leads to being pretty bad. And being pretty bad leads to playing your young guys and, and seeing what you can get out of them. So if things turn south for Chicago quickly next season, I think there's a pretty good chance that they start giving more and more minutes to Wendell Carter Um Maybe they even find a taker for Robin Lopez and, and trade him and create more minutes for Carter that way. Um, but the, so, so the obstacle is finding shots. The benefit is he should, or at least he could be in a situation um, where he gets to play some minutes. And obviously minutes and, and touches are a big, big part of the equation when it comes to rookie of the year. At fresh underscore six underscore prints. How do you think the Bucks will perform this year? Um, I'm excited about the Bucks. They've been a league pass team of mine for the last few years. One of the teams that I'll I'll try to watch if I've if I'm not assigned to a game by Bleacher Report. They're one that I gravitate to a lot. Um, obviously, Giannis <laughs> is a big part of that. But now, the appeal uh, or the allure, what's what's different about this team is Coach Budenholzer, who did so much to just remake the Atlanta Hawks <laughs> franchise, that sort of random 60 win season they had that nobody expected, uh, I think was largely a pot product of coach buds coaching. And he, he's amazing at getting guys to move the ball, uh, getting guys to move themselves when they don't have the ball. That's super important. Uh, from the little bit that I've seen from Milwaukee in the preseason, it looks like they're adopting, a lot of those principles, I've seen some possessions when the ball is flying around. Guys are moving without the ball. Um, he's going to get Giannis Antetokounmpo better scoring opportunities than maybe he's ever seen. Um, and if Giannis starts hitting threes, uh, they could be really, really good is, is, is what I'm getting at. Um, I think Toronto is a clear number one in the East. Uh, a lot of people think Boston is the clear number one, but I actually think it's Toronto. And then I could see Boston, Philadelphia, or even Milwaukee finishing second in the East. Um, all three of those teams, I think, have pretty high ceilings, mid-50s, uh, maybe even high 50s for Boston um, type of ceilings. Ben Simmons, to me, is on track to, I mean, he could already be like a top five point guard this season. Um, Joel Embiid is, is probably already a top five center. 
So they have a ridiculous combo there, and they have great complementary pieces too, like guys like Robert Covington and Dario Saric and um, J.J. Redick. They just fit so well with those two guys, and now Marco Fultz suddenly looks like he could be pretty good this year. So I think Philly could be tough. Um, Boston's been – they've been talked about ad nauseum by a ton of different people, so I don't know how much more I can add to that. But they are deep. <clears throat> they are switchable. Um I'm not sure how deep they are offensively. Uh, I was actually listening to the Locked On Jazz podcast the other day, and he was he was talking about he was just sharing some numbers about how inefficient a lot of those bench Boston guys are, like Marcus Smart and Marcus Morris. So I don't know if they're a great offensive team. I think they'll be really good defensively. Um, their switchability with guys like Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum and Gordon Hayward and uh, Marcus Smart, like that makes them super tough. Defensively, so I think they're in this conversation too. And then back to the the team in question here, the Milwaukee Bucks. Um, Middleton and Giannis is one of the best duos in the East to me. Uh, Brooke Lopez has kind of <laughs> he's kind of become this forgotten guy because he was on the tanking Nets for so long, and then he was on the kind of taking tanking Lakers last year who were actually trying to win some games, but they also wanted to develop the young guys, so he didn't play a lot there. Um, I think another thing that contributes to this is the game is changing, and Brooke Lopez is still sort of a slow, plodding, um, often ground-bound big man. Uh, but I, I think he does some things that will fit well uh, in the modern NBA, and uh, he can shoot from the outside. I think he's a pretty decent passer, and I think Bud will make him a better passer. So he's interesting to me. <clears throat> I haven't even mentioned Eric Bledsoe. Um, hopefully Malcolm Brogdon can have a back, bounce back season. They're really interesting to me, but obviously like it, it comes down to Giannis. And if he's better, um, and it's kind of hard to imagine what better is for him beyond just adding a three-point shot. But I think I think if Bud can find another layer for him, that's, a, like I said, a sneaky number two uh, contender. Sorry, I had to get some water. Usually I have Dan to like, Give me some breaks in between these hot takes. I'm losing my voice over here. <clears throat> At B-Ball Scholars, who is your 2018-19 league MVP? I'm pretty sure we already had an entire podcast on this, so hopefully I'm not contradicting myself, but I'm going to go with Anthony Davis. Um, you've heard the numbers time and time again. 30-plus points, <laughs> um, 11 or 12 rebounds, a couple assists couple of blocks, a couple steals, high efficiency uh, after DeMarcus Cousins went down. He was just insane. Um, and I think the Pelicans have a chance to be pretty good this season. I, I think they could probably finish as high as like fourth or fifth. And if he's putting up those kind of numbers, he's going to have a very, very strong MVP case. So right now it's him. Obviously, James Harden's been in the discussion every year for the last four or five years. So he'll probably be in there again. I don't think Curry or Durant will be there. There's still the whole splitting votes thing going on with them. Um, and I think Golden State might be even more complacent in the regular season than they've been in years past. So I'm not sure they'll be there. Uh, an obvious one is LeBron James, who I'm watching right now on NBA TV. Um, Giannis, just talked about him. I think he's got a pretty good case too, but... If I had to pick one right now, I'm probably going to go with Anthony Davis. 
And by the way, all you Lakers fans who hate me, Brandon Ingram does look pretty good in this game, at least so far. I still need him to be able to shoot better. But um, <clears throat> at S H U M E K O T, I'm not going to try to pronounce that one. I don't. I don't even know how. Your guess for most improved player related. Which player is most likely going to decline rapidly? Um, I'm going to jump over to Twitter real quick because I actually um, I meant to crowdsource that most improved player one. That's a that's a hard one um, to predict. So I'm going to type this up real quick. Who will win NBA most improved player in 2019? Um, we'll see what kind of answers we get in the next couple minutes. <clears throat> the other part of the question, though, I do have an answer for, um, if I can find my answers. I looked up guys who, I think it was just a box plus minus over zero. I can't remember if it was over zero or over one last season. Then I sorted them by age on basketball reference. Uh, two guys that jumped off. The page to me, they're getting up there in age. Pau Gasol, um, he's quietly been pretty good for the last few years for the Spurs. I still don't really understand the contract, the most recent contract they gave him. Um, but he's had a really solid twilight to his career. But you would think at some point <clears throat> it's got to drop off. I don't know if it'll be this year, but he seems like a candidate for that. Um, another one that came to mind was Marcin Gortat. And... <laughs> Heck, some people would probably argue he's already had the drop off. Uh, Josh Lloyd uh, at Red Rock underscore Vwall. Most of you probably follow him too, but I, I'm sure he would argue that Marcin Gortat's already had the drop off in his career. But <clears throat> right now, I think he's slated to start at center for the Clippers. Uh, I would hope, or I would think, or I would hope at some point Montrezl Harrell will take over that role. But um, we'll see how that goes. He's a guy who I could see dropping off. A couple other guys that were near the top of that list in terms of age was Andre Iguodala. Um, I don't see it quite yet with him. He, he's a guy who's had a lot of nagging injuries, so maybe he's a prime candidate for this. Uh, but I think Golden State's really good about how they use him, and they just sort of save him for the moments when they really need him. So I don't see it with him yet. And then Kyle Korver was another one. He's, he's almost 40 years old, believe it or not. I think he's going to be uh, going into his age 38 season, which is just crazy to think about and like i said with gasol that these guys stay in incredible shape uh but at some point it falls off for every nba player especially when you're running around trying to keep up with guys who are you know just coming to the league they're they're fresh and um so those are a few names that come to mind <laughs> it's kind of a mean question but oh well uh we did get a i got a ton of answers on most improved player um Derek White is a good one. I don't know if he even... I'm going to look Derek White up real quick. Did he even log NBA minutes last year, or did he spend this whole time in the D-League? He played 139 minutes last season, so I, I, he would technically be eligible for the award, but he would also be a second-year player, which is... Um, I don't know how I feel about second-year players being most improved because you you everybody should improve in their second year, you would think. Uh, that was from at Canyon Driver who said that. That's a good call though. I think I think he could, I think he could have a big role with the Spurs. At A R Y L E W S K I says Dante Exum, um, which is one that I've like jokingly but not really jokingly <laughs> thrown out there on Twitter. Um, 
he was really good in those 14 games that he played in the regular season. And then obviously his defense on Harden has been talked about a lot in the playoffs. Uh, at Cause was here, no surprise. He see, he thinks Delhi is going to win uh, Most Improved Player of the Year. Uh, <laughs> at 3, Marty P, Otto Porter. That's an interesting one. Um, I don't think he gets the shots that he'll need to do that. Um, we got a Brandon Ingram one here, which is, is probably a pretty good call. If he stays healthy, I think he could probably have a pretty good year. Derek Rose is an interesting call from somebody. Uh, I'll just go ahead and say I don't agree with that. I'm guessing he's probably joking. Torian Prince, that's an interesting one. Um, we've talked about him a lot on the podcast. He had some really impressive games, especially towards the end of last season. Um, someone after my heart says Jokic for MVP, MIP, and finals MVP. Uh, yeah, I'll take that. Um, there's a bunch of interesting ones. Fultz, somebody threw that. That was one that I thought of, but then I thought, yeah, second-year player. Um, especially one who just didn't play. So, lots of good ones. Jamal Murray and Gary Harris. Those are some good answers. There's a bunch of guys. Um, most improved player usually comes out of nowhere. That's just kind of the nature of that award. Um Right now we have Lance Stevenson swagging around on the TV. That's always fun. Um, I'm going to take another drink. Hopefully you guys can't hear me swigging that water. Uh, Jokic triple-double at C-H. That's his, that's his Twitter name. His handle is at C-H-M-O-R-L-E-Y. He asks, what will it take for Jokic to make an all-star team? Um Honestly, I think he would probably have to average like 35 points, 15 rebounds, and 10 assists. Uh, it is going to take so much for him to overcome the sort of anti-Jokic wave that has developed over the last couple of years. Uh, there, there is a huge anti-Jokic sentiment out there. Um, not only among NBA fans, maybe he can get a ton of votes from people from Serbia. Uh, we can get some kind of campaign for that. But general NBA fans in America, or at least a lot of them, don't like Jokic because he's become sort of the poster child of basketball analytics. And they they just genuinely hate analytics. There, there's so much rage um, in people who respond to me about the most innocuous stuff. And a lot of it has to do with Nikola Jokic. Um, for some reason, they are just so resistant to, to new ways to analyze. Um, heaven forbid we try to take an objective look at some players. But, it, I mean, obviously this is no fault of Jokic's, but he has become sort of the lightning rod for a lot of that. And uh, I, so I think it's going to be really hard for him to ever make an all-star game. Now, obviously another ingredient to this is the fact that he plays in the Western Conference, which is just stacked. There are so many good players. Um I've heard arguments about expanding all-star teams, which to me makes sense. When they first came up with the format for 12 all-stars per conference, there was way fewer teams in the NBA. And now there's just there's more teams, there's more talent. Um, at the very least, we should probably have 15 all-stars per conference. So I think we should we should expand it. But Jokic is in the West, and it's it's super hard to make the Western Conference all-star team regardless of how good you are. Um, I mean, it's, it's, it's just ridiculous how stacked the West is. Um, 
so he's got that going for or going against him and he's got just the fact that he's <laughs> he's the analytics poster boy he doesn't look like a typical NBA player which I do think is part of the equation too um that's that's going to make it an uphill climb for him to ever make an all-star game. I mean, think about it. If <laughs> How many other players could have a two- or three-month stretch of a season where they average like 22 points, 12 rebounds, and eight assists a game, shoot over 40% from three, and still be uh, panned by a huge segment of Twitter? And don't tell me it's because of his defense because <laughs> – there are tons of big men who play tons of minutes who get torched on pick and rolls uh, on the perimeter. He's fine under the rim. He occupies space. He has quick hands. He gobbles up rebounds, which end possessions. Denver's had a better defensive rating with him on the floor every year of his career. Um, he's not a great defender, but he's not as bad as people make it out to be. Uh, a better argument than the one I just gave for that is, I think if you just Google, let me make sure, just Google Nikola Jokic defense cleaning the glass and there's a good yeah it's the first result there's a good article on cleaning the glass about Jokic's D Um, they say basically what I said he's not a great defender but he's not as bad as people think he is Um, (laughs) anyway (laughs) that stat line I, I, I laid out 22 12 and 8 there's almost no one in the league who would do that for two or three months and not just be universally praised. Um, but because Jokic has a couple things going against him, he unfortunately is is not... <laughs> he's this divisive player, which is unfortunate because he's really, really good. Um, at E. Pankowski asked me, if a time traveler came back from June 2019 and told you that a fully healthy Warriors team did not win the championship, what do you think would be the most likely explanation? Um this is tough. I like the way you frame this question, though. I think Toronto could be really, really good if Kawhi Leonard fully buys in. Um, that's a team that matches up fairly well with the Warriors to me. Think about all the switchy guys they have with Kawhi, OG Ananobi, Danny Green. Um, De- I think DeLon Wright can guard multiple positions. Uh, Pascal Siakam can guard a few positions. I think Serge Ibaka may play more five this season. I think that'll that'll be good for him. Um, that team's really good. Kyle Lowry is wildly underrated, by the way. Um, maybe LeBron James <laughs> cements his place as one of the absolute greatest of all time. I, I think if he <laughs> upended the Warriors this year, he'd certainly do that. Uh, maybe the Jazz and the Nuggets are way ahead of schedule. Um, Maybe the Rockets <laughs> somehow make mellow work. Maybe they're the team that trades for Jimmy Butler. Uh, there's a few explanations. They all seem like long shots <laughs> as I say them um, because the obvious pick for 2019 NBA champion is is the Golden State Warriors, especially if they're fully healthy. Um, <clears throat> at Mason underscore long two. Curious on your thoughts about Tyus Jones. The dude was a monster last year in limited minutes. Thanks, Tibbs. He's the only guy in the top 25 in RPM last year with less than 30 minutes per game. Um, I like Tyus Jones a lot. I, I, <laughs> I'm i with you. I think I don't think Tibbs has done him any favors. Maybe starting Derrick Rose at the two, as ridiculous as that seems, uh, opens up more backup point guard minutes for Tyus this year, though I, I think that's probably a long shot. He'll probably play Jeff Teague mid to high 30s and... Um, <laughs> 
very, very few minutes will be reserved for Tyus Jones, who's a very, very solid player. Um, he gets steals. I think he's a good defender. I think he's a good floor general on the other end. He just, he's just solid. Um, there's a reason that Minnesota's on-off splits are so, so favorable to him. Um, at Suns Reddit, Suns underscore Reddit, where do you rank the Suns' young core among the league? Uh, it's it's obviously one of the better ones. Um, I think a lot of Suns fans think I hate Devin Booker because for the first few couple of years of his career, I would point out um, some of the advanced numbers that weren't super favorable to him. But those, I, I mean, first of all, I never disliked Devin Booker. And those started to turn in his favor uh, last year. And, and it, just his raw counting stats are ridiculous for a player of his age to already be a guy who's basically at 25 5 and 5 um it's just absurd he's really good i think deandre ayton's gonna be really good um i talk about luka Doncic way more obviously that doesn't mean that i don't think that uh, ayton can be good i think they have a great one-two punch there i like michael bridges i'm not ready to give up on josh jackson i think that's a strong core um but to answer this question i was just kind of looking at other teams in the league, and off the top of my head, young cores that I think I would take over Phoenix. Um, I think I would pretty comfortably take Denver's. Uh, I, I think Jamal Murray, Gary Harris, Nikola Jokic, um, all still very young. That That's one of the best young trios in the league to me. Then there's the 76ers. I already mentioned Embiid and Simmons, <laughs> both very young. Saric is still pretty young. Foltz, um, that's one that I would take over them. The Lakers, maybe I would even take them over the uh, the Suns' young core. Brandon Ingram, Cal Kuzma, I'm really high on Lonzo Ball. I just love all the things he does beyond shooting and scoring. Um, I think the Celtics are one that I might take over Phoenix. I'm not sure because the young core with that team is really just Tatum and Brown. And that's really good. Um but I'm not sure I like that more than Aiton, Booker, and Bridges. And then another one that I think is kind of neck and neck with Phoenix. I, I can't really decide which one I would take. Um, Dallas Mavericks. With I just I'm super high on Luka Doncic, and I think Dennis Smith started to show us some stuff at the end of last year. That's a really good one-two punch to me. Um, anyway, the ones the ones that I think I can comfortably take. Over the Suns are the Nuggets, Sixers, and the Lakers. And I think it's pretty close between the Suns, the Mavericks, and the Celtics. Um, <clears throat> what is Doncic's ceiling floor? That's from at T T E is elite. Um, his ceiling to me... Good evening, Andrew. Well, Siri thought I said Siri when I said ceiling. Go away. Um, he is a... So I'm not the first person to say this, but he's kind of like the wing version of Nikola Jokic. I think he's a guy who could average around 20 points, um, 7 or 8 rebounds, and close to double-digit assists. Uh, and that's... That sounds really lofty. Um, but if he's put in the right position and 
He's asked to make a bunch of plays. I, I think he could be really, really special. His vision as a passer is just unreal. Watching him play for Slovenia in Eurobasket last year and watching a bunch of film on him at Real Madrid, the way that he reads the floor when he's running the pick and roll, um, when he's you know on the break surveying, surveying the floor as, as the point man on the break, he's got incredible vision, incredible touch as a passer. Um, and like I said earlier, I just I love passing, and I think if he if he develops into a good to great shooter, those two things in combination um, are going to make him really special. One thing that I think is underrated about him is his rebounding. Uh, he got a couple nice rebounds in traffic in that preseason debut, but what really stood out to me about him when I was watching Eurobasket, uh, I think it was the summer of 2017, maybe. Um, yeah, that sounds right. He was getting these just big time rebounds up among the trees um, at Eurobasket. So, and I, I just thought that that was an indication of how strong and big and athletic he is. So he he's got a bunch of different skills. Obviously, he needs some work on defense, um, but that's that's sort of a ceiling to me uh, for him. A guy who's not selfish but can still you know get high teens, low twenties in scoring just because he'll be really efficient. Um, another thing is he can draw fouls, and that that obviously helps people score too. Um, but what's going to set him apart is vision. As for floor, I, I mentioned this earlier. Maybe he can have like a Joe Ingles type of an impact. Um, and Joe Ingles was really good. I, I mentioned earlier that he was like a top 25, 30 player in box plus minus last season. He's, uh, I think he's a lot better than a lot of people realize. So if I'm saying that <laughs> Doncic's floor is Joe Ingles. That's even that is high praise. I just, I think he's going to be really, really good. Um, I don't think that take is going to blow up in my face or, or the faces of the tons of other people who feel the same way. I just, I just think he's super special. Um, I'm going to wrap with this one from at boxing with God. How much would KD on the Knicks change the Eastern conference power rankings? Um, Depending on who else they get there, I mean, <laughs> the Knicks could quickly become one of the best teams, if not the best team in the East. Uh, I'm recording this on a Thursday night, and we had those reports within the last few hours that Kyrie Irving told Boston fans, and he's been telling Boston management that he's going to re-sign in Boston. So my little dream of having Kyrie and KD on the Knicks might be dead, but maybe you get KD there with Kimball Walker. Um, pair those those two with Kristaps Porzingis. That's suddenly a really really scary trio. Um, the thing about this that I don't think a lot of people are talking about is if Kevin Durant does go to the Knicks, he's already thirty years old. Um, and that's you know obviously that's not old, uh, but it's not young either, and. Uh, I would wonder how how long they would have a title window open if he goes to the Knicks. Um, certainly, I think if he's there, Kimba's there, Chris Tepsporzingis is there, wh- whoever they draft in the lottery this year is there. Um, is that a title contender right away? I'm not totally sure it is. Uh, it's certainly one of the best teams in the East. Um but yeah, I just like I said, I just think that's one ingredient that maybe not a lot of people are talking about is if he goes to the Knicks after this season, they have 
I don't know, three, four tops years to, to get it done. Um, but in answer to your question, obviously Kevin Durant, wherever he goes, <laughs> that team is going to be really, really good. And, and obviously there's a pretty good chance he just stays with the Warriors too. Uh, but I, I would love to see him go to New York. I want to see, I'm always all for chaos, shakeups in any form or fashion. Um, I've been rambling. You guys have, have been listening to my voice, assuming you haven't turned it off at this point for nearly an hour. Uh, and as you can probably tell, I am losing my voice. So I'm going to go ahead and wrap up the mailbag there. There's a bunch more questions. Um, my wife and children are going to be out of town this weekend. So maybe I'll, maybe I'll answer a bunch more on uh, Twitter when I get a chance on Saturday or whatever, when I'm watching Wyoming get crushed in football. I don't even know who they're playing this week, but it's, I assume it will be bad. Um, like I said at the top of the show, if you haven't rated or reviewed us, make sure you do that. Uh, share the podcast with your friends and family. Um, I had an old law school classmate come up to me the other day and talked to me about the podcast. And I just thought, man, that's, that's cool. Thank you for doing that. And I don't get a chance to meet face to face and talk to all of you guys who listen to us, but it is, I, I just think it's cool that anybody <laughs> listens to me ramble about the NBA. So thank you to those of you who listen, those of you who subscribe, those of you who've rated. Uh, I sincerely appreciate each and every one of you. And until next time, I leave you with the shout out to Ben Udry. Lowe's knows you'll do it right and do it yourself to make refreshing changes to your kitchen and bath. We do it right, too, with up to 40% off select kitchen and bath essentials during the final days of our Refresh for Less kitchen and bath event. That's up to 40% off faucets, vanities, showerheads, and more. For kitchen and bath updates that keep you within budget, do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Offer valid through 3-6. See store for details, U.S. only. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.